A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And we have a fun episode today. We do. We have a fun episode today with an artist. We have with like a real visual artist, a painter. It's very cool. Yeah. No, Joan LeMay. She she's she's an artist and 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 she's like a real artist. We asked her real artist questions. We did. We talked. We had we had real art conversations. <laughs> do you know that I went to college originally to be a um, visual artist? No, I did. I did. I got. Um, I. I, I won some award in high school. I was, it was a pretty good visual artist. Half my day was spent in AP art and, um, and I got to college and I had all these art classes and they were very intense. And like about midway through the first semester, I was like, Oh, I'm not good enough for this. Like, this is really? not like, I was like, I don't have the chops. I don't have the chops naturally for this. And I don't have the interest to, get as good as I'd have to get. I don't have the interest to do that kind of growth. Um, right. As I did with writing. So that was like an easier, an easier choice, but, um, it was an early, I could have been a visual artist perhaps. You know, if there's one thing I could not have been, it would be a visual artist. I like, <laughs> I draw stick figures. That's the extent <laughs> of my, I have no vision. None of the Francis have any visual <laughs> art talent, except for my brother, Todd, who's a photographer. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> he, ha- he does. He does for sure. And my mom does. But um, yeah, no, no visual art talent. No, this. that's how I am about dancing. Like, like there's zero like if i had if i was going to die i could not make a living as a dancer (laughs) there's there's no like if someone was like this is it you won't eat i'd be like can't i really can't (laughs) you think so oh for sure like two three left feet like just like don't even know where my feet are in space 
for sure. See, I used to think I knew how to dance and now I dance like a middle-aged person. Which is? (laughs) I step from side to side and then do something (laughs) with my hands, you know? And I watch like Paul's students. I watch how they dance. I've spent some time thinking about this because like they dance differently because they use their whole entire bodies when they're dancing. And if you're over 40, probably you step from side to side and do something with your hands. See, I do use my whole body, but I should not. My sister, (laughs) my sister, one time we went to a wedding together, like some family wedding, and we had the video of the wedding. And my sister like sat me down and she made me do a forensics of my dance moves. And she was like, you see that right there? She was like, this is horrible. (laughs) She was like, she was like, I mean, you're ambitiously bad. But I've told you this. She was like, you're ambitiously bad, but it's fucking bad. Like you're having a good time, but it's just bad. So yeah. So anyway, I know because I had somebody who was who was willing to be fully honest and be like, this See, is horrible. <laughs> this is what I missed by not having a sister. You know what? You kind of did. I have to say, I mean, although look, the, the thing is, the thing is with siblings, it's a goddamn crap shoot. Like you can't yeah. just, it's like, it's like getting two pets. You don't know if they're going to get along. Like you can't just <laughs> have another one to, cause so they'll have a friend. It doesn't always work out. I happen to get an excellent, excellent sister. Like I got the best sister for me. Um, but mo- most people don't like, I think that's fair to say like a lot of people, it's just like, Oh, that again. Yeah. No, I like my I like my brothers a lot. Like I spend yeah. time socially with my brothers. Yeah, that's lucky. I, I really do think it's lucky because I do think often people are forced to be with their families, but they're like, I don't really we don't really have any connection, but we're we're, you know, we're doing this, you know. I think I think I am lucky. I think I'm yeah. super lucky that that's the case. And I think some of it is that we all came from somewhere else. Yeah. And that you're all now in the same place. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. Um, So one last thing before we get into it, we're doing a special thing this week for all of our Patreon listeners, subscribers. We're going to have a special segment with our guests where they talk about their favorite things because, you know, smart people and cool people like cool, smart things. So this week on the Patreon, Joan, we will have Joan's recommendations. So why don't we just get into this episode? Let's do that. Our guest today is Joan LeMay. Joan is a painter and illustrator based in New York City. Her work has appeared in dozens of publications, books, and album covers, and has been shown in museums, galleries, and in public spaces internationally. Her book about Steely Dan with writer Alex Papadimus, Quantum Criminals, Ramblers, Wild Gamblers, and Other Soul Survivors from the Songs of Steely Dan was published last year. She's currently working on a follow-up about the Grateful Dead called Friends of the Devil. Welcome, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled beyond belief. I am so thrilled to have you. So like, okay, you make books with my husband, just full disclosure. Like, yeah, I sure do. Which is, which is really been an amazing collaboration, I think, for the both of you. And it's been really fun to watch. Um, but the reason I wanted to have you on is because you're a capital A artist. You're a serious mm-hmm. painter, which I feel like is something that's somehow more pure than writing, which has always felt like me to like mental barfing. Um <laughs> I imagine, though, that that purity must be hard when it comes to all kinds of things, surviving, you know, just making it in the world. 
How are you feeling about it these days? I don't know many capital A artists. That's such a wonderful question. And there's so many different kind of discursive tributaries um, there. I feel like writing and visual art and acting and music making are all capable of being the same kind of pure or impure and real or unreal, right? And I think that is part of, you know, when you're talking about being, you know, as as we all are uh, creative women in this chunk of our lives, trying to trying to operate and make the best work we can in like late stage patriarchal capitalism, right. um, figuring out how to how to balance those balls is always a struggle between what am I making for me? Why am I making what I'm making for me? What am I making for other people? Am I making what I'm other what I'm making for other people also for me? Or am I also like, I really need two thousand dollars right now. I'm gonna right, do this. Right, right. And that which is fucking fine too and necessary because you know, you we all, we need to eat and live and pay rent and everything. It's hard to balance the commercial and the creative though, right? I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a constant juggling act I find. And it's, there's like, sometimes the creative loses and the commercial wins and, you know, you just have to keep it in some kind of balance. I, for me, at least, I, I wonder if it's the same thing with art. Absolutely. You have to ping pong it and you have to, you know, you have to have your vegetables with your cake. Yeah. Right. Right. And sometimes this is a shitty metaphor. Sometimes the vegetables are in the cake. That's gross. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's not gross. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. Joan, when did you realize you could make a living doing this? Seven years ago when I started making a living doing this. So it was like, I've always, I've always, um, I've painted always. And I started showing with, with any amount of regularity or any amount of purpose and probably about 2003 2000 probably more like 2004 actually um after meeting dear friend of mine the artist Derek Erdman who everybody should check out and he he was like Joni you should come do a show with me come da 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 and I was like all right so I so I've always done this in the in the background and I um the last time I had a straight job was in 2008. Uh, I was a music publicist for Sub Pop, which is that's how I know Jen's husband, Alex, is he was a music writer. I was also a music writer. Then I became a publicist. So I would call Alex and be like, do you want to write about the promise ring? And he'd be like, no. And I'd be like, all right. <laughs> and that would be the end of it. Um, but I, uh, I'd come to the end of, of a 17 year run being a music publicist. And I had my own company. There were eight people working with me for me. And um, and I just realized that I was done. And I'd been on the side doing interior decor work because I'm super that, that I'm super into I'm always maybe it's ADHD also, but I always reorganize everything and right. uh, whatever. So I was doing that and then I was painting more and more, starting to take on commissions for people. Um, and when I retired from music business stuff, the, I, those two ponies were were like were what was driving everything. And I absolutely assumed interior decor was going to be the next thing. Right. But I was making more money painting, and because I was getting amazing, 
yeah, I was getting so many um, commission requests and able to charge more and having a business brain from doing what I did really served me um, yeah. in being able to grow that. And so it, I, I did, I had a, my own, my own uh, interior decor business that was just me called fifth house interiors that I did for, I think like two, two years, something like that. And then, um, and then I was like, you know what, I'm, if I can just paint, I'm just going to paint. And I had the, um, which doesn't get talked about enough, I think in, in creative, like entrepreneurial stories, I had the safety net of, I was married at the time and, um, my wonderful husband was making bank. And so I was able right. to, um, to be like, okay, you know what, if I, I'm, this is making more money, but if I just make 40 grand this year, I'm fine. Right. Right. And so that safety net allowed me to really take that chance. And now presently I'm no longer married and I just took my first other straight job I've had since then doing part-time social media stuff for 20 by 200, which is a, which y'all are familiar with Jen Beckman's yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was woman led artist, uh, driven print, fine art print company. Yeah. How did it come to be that you, you, um, specialize, it seems in portraits? I just l love doing when I was, a, when I was a kid going to the museum of fine arts in Houston, mm -hmm. um, I always made a beeline for the portraits. And I think maybe it was, I don't know, I was an only child. I spent a shit ton of time alone. This is like, this is like a sad reading of it, but I think it's what's real. <laughs> and I uh, would run to paintings like they were friends and be like, ah, you, you know, and, yeah. and I'm drawn to faces, to people. And I always, and there was something, I think, you know, in the in the hierarchy of what you think of when you think about painting in like a western context you kind of think of like oh you can paint people as some as some something that is somehow like something you want to strive for more than oh you can paint landscapes or abstracts or whatever right total bullshit because there are so many challenges, whatever you choose to do, right? Uh, and some ways to do it. But I just, I, the, I guess the answer is that I was just always drawn to it. And I wanted to kind of, in, and in painting, um, when I started painting people I admired or people I loved, it's a way when you're, when you're doing the work to really get close to that person. It's an intimacy, unlike any mm -hmm. other experienced. You're looking at their pores. You're looking at what's behind their eyes. You're trying to bring it out, even in, you know, dumb little gouache paintings or whatever. Yeah. And having, having portraits and people around me in my space, which I have 90 million pictures of people. It's like, I, I want those people around. I want those people around me. Your paintings remind me a bit of Alice Neal. Do you think that that's off base? Bless you. She's my favorite <laughs> all all time. And I've got a stack. Well, they're up here, but I've got a stack of Neil books and a Neil poster. I love her. I, I love her. And one of the things I love about her that I think you share is that, which I think would be the scary thing about getting a portrait painted, is that the portraitists see something you maybe don't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I love that too. I, I've done a lot of self-portraiture and I think partially just because I'm here and so I can paint right. myself, but also for that reason, because I want us, you know, maybe because some, sometimes I paint myself and then I see something about myself that I wouldn't have been able to see if I hadn't processed things that visually. And I, is it, I only have- I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but is it scary to put those out in the world? Is it because I mean, some of them, I mean, you're emotionally naked. I feel like you're these, the portraits of yourself are so raw and some, sometimes you're actually naked. And I, I wonder it, how does it feel to put that out in the world? I mean, I, I know in memoir, it's incredibly vulnerable to be really personal and raw. And I wonder, do you ever, do you ever say, you know what? Not this one, this one, this one is just for me or, you know, like. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have a few years ago, but I, I think all of the, I mean, I painted a bunch of super horny bathtub naked paintings of myself during a time when I was, I think, starting to re- figure out that I was like a woman, not, not in terms of gender questions, but that I was like a, a, a vital sexual being. I, I wanted to reconnect with that part of myself Yeah, and painting myself naked in bathtubs was like a way for me to do that. And then when I was in art school too, I mean, I painted like, I did like a, a, a origin of the world style big oil of my fucking vagina which is the most great <laughs> thing and the most I'm in art school thing um but it was part it was part of a larger it was this um series of of uh paintings that were on pieces of carved mdf that were fragments of they were like shards of material and there there was my leg and my mouth and boobs and crotch and all this and it was all broken apart and it was that was a derivative right. of another painting that I'd done that was like eight feet long and whatever but it, it's it's all kind of me looking at myself and being like you're alive you're alive and you need to be that yeah I'd felt not that for a long time yeah no I so much about so i mean you've really made a lot of changes and pivots in the last like decade in your 40s really you know too yeah. and you know we've had a lot of upheaval and change and you moved to portland and then you went to london for a fine arts program you've gone through a divorce and i think i think that a lot of people are afraid to make changes in their lives especially as they get older and i feel like everything you've done is really brave what is your relationship with change? I love this question because I talk about it with <laughs> dear friends all the time. My relationship with change is that what what it what it there's a there's a quote that's the only constant thing is change. There's a, it's maybe like a Ram Dass, yeah. Alan Watts quote. I don't remember. Uh, right. Or maybe it's just one of the those only thing quotes. we can count on. The only thing we can count on is change or something. Yeah, something like, a, like yeah. that. Yeah, it's so, something like that. And I, you know, in the last handful of years, I've also done ungodly amount of therapy and Al-Anon stuff. And I, I think that the the truth is that change comes whether or not you're prepared to deal with it. It comes whether or not you invite it. It comes whether or not you want it. And the question is, are you going to choose the more intense 
short-term pain of addressing it, or are you going to choose the, in my opinion, an experience always horrifically far worse choice of being in long-term pain, of accepting it, denying it, uh, skirting around it, and thinking, well, this is just my lot. Yeah, I'm just going to stay in this marriage that I'm horrific, not my marriage, but I'm saying if, if yeah. you're in a marriage that you're horrifically unhappy in. Or a relationship, um, anything, job. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Or a job or or an apartment, or if you're like, I, I've always wanted to dye my hair black, but right. I'm so scared. It's like, just do it, dude, you know, or I've always been scared to learn how to play guitar. I've always been scared to like fear life's long and life's short. And I, I think part of my relationship with change um, changed. I got, I found out that I had a heart condition in 2020. And I, I'm fine, yeah. but I'll need surgery eventually. And it it scared me in a in a new spicy kind of way that yeah. <laughs> that uh, made it a little more difficult for me to to choose the more acute pain involved with change because there is a, a ton of it. Yes, I've had yeah so so many changes and such horrifically heartbreaking difficult stuff especially with love you know um there's a quote i'm trying to remember and it's something like you know for every person who made a brave choice was a situation where they really had no choice yes yeah that's it yeah but yeah. The also also there are cho- but but also that's not 100 percent true because there are all these smaller choices we make we choose to stay we choose the lot we say okay well i'll just put this off for this year well i'm too old well i'm this well i'm that because we don't because the fear because it's the heartbreak and the discomfort those are big things right like you know sometimes like you have to get the fuck out of a marriage or your finances are fucked or you know there's just like a devastating situation happening but there's a subtlety to life too there's subtle miseries that we just accept because they're mm-hmm. because it's too uncomfortable to go through the the passage from one thing to another and i would i've always said i would rather be scared than bored because I think being bored is a waste of my life. I hate being bored. I hate just being like, I've done this. I understand this. I don't even like it anymore. What the fuck? And then, you know, it's complicated because sometimes you do have to sit in something for a while to figure it out because the ADHD thing is you just can bounce the fuck out too fast, you know, like, yeah, but I, I think it's complicating knowing where those lines are, but I really admire you because you could have just been a publicist forever. I could have, you know, and people depend and people worked for you. That I think would be another major. I mean, when I thought about leaving lucky, as I sometimes constantly did when (laughs) I was in that job, the fact that there were people who relied on me made it a scarier proposition. Yeah, I'm sure I, I, when I bounced, um, I gave my, my company to my right hand dude, Nathan, who runs it handily to this day. Um, so I, so that made it way easier for me. And I was able to do that also Mm -hmm. because the, I didn't found the company. My friend Dave Lewis founded the company. And then when he went into music business academia 
uh, than he gave the company to me. So it was like, here's the gift and the curse of an indie rock publicity firm. And, and I, and I passed it off again and it's still, it's still going, it's still successful. It's still running with the same amount of integrity and brilliance and drive. Right. Right. But, but you could have, so the point is that you could have stayed in it and not pursued the harder thing, which is, I mean, you already know how to do that. You could have just stayed in it. Instead, you pursued a much more circuitous and sort of unknown path and the path that was right for you and what you wanted to do. And that, that is brave, you know? Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. It's both brave. And it's also like, I, uh, I know I know how to do what I know how to do and I don't know how to do what I don't know how to do. If that makes any sense or means anything yes. at all. You can't overstate the importance of that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a really smart thing in, in any endeavor. Let's take a quick break from some ads. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we're back. I want to ask about some paintings you made a few years back. You made a prescription series where you painted portraits of bottles of Lexapro Mm -hmm. and Xanax and Wellbutrin. And you did this before people were really talking openly about mental health and medications. Um, why was that important for you? So I, that's- And where can I get the portrait of Abilify? <laughs> oh, well, I, I can paint you one. I can make you one. Um, I was, I think I was just trying to paint still lifes and I painted my inhaler, my asthma inhaler after I think I'd had a tough mm-hmm. asthma weeks. And it's this object that I, I was thinking about it in terms of the fact that it's always with me. Like if you have ever been with me in life, you have all also been with my inhaler because it is always on me wherever I go. Yeah. And then that started me thinking about, you know, I did just being thankful for modern medicine. And then I started uh, doing, I was taking Lexapro and I was like, thank God for these. And, uh, and I started getting commissions <laughs> for 
for people. I, I did this really big, I think it was like, not really big, but it was like maybe three, three feet tall portrait of Xanax for a woman. And in the background, some of her favorite flowers and, um, and she's like, I'm putting this on my wall in my bedroom. And if people don't like it, if I bring a man home and he's freaked out, he can get the fuck <laughs> out. And I was like, I like you. Um, <laughs> talking, talking about mental health and meds and talking about like all the stuff y'all talk about on the podcast that people don't talk about and talking about being a woman in your 40s, 50s, 60s and getting filler and getting Botox. And like, why aren't we all talking about that? Who gives a fuck? Like, who are you trying to fool? Are you trying to fool yourself? Yes. By not being open about the fact that, okay, I take antidepressants, I have shit in my cheeks, and I'm stoked about these things. Like, why? Yes. Yep. Who cares? Yes. Like, I, like, I know. And I'm always like, I should be ashamed of how much, how, how happy I am after I get some Botox and how I like the way it lifts my eyelids. And I, I, every time when I come out, I'm like, I love this. And then I feel like so much shame about how much I love it. Uh-huh. I love it too. I have it too. You just need a Botox portrait for your front hallway and then you'll be set. No, yeah. but there is a thing because there's a thing about everything with women is like, we're supposed to suffer through it and we're supposed to be natural but we're also supposed to look young forever. And we're supposed, you know, it's like, we're supposed to like muscle through aging, you know, like we're supposed to muscle through everything. Like we're supposed to muscle through childbirth and muscle through breastfeeding and fucking every fucking thing we're supposed to muscle through. And I think that I've been thinking about this a lot because there's like this idea that there's like, it's a weakness. If you, if you have like alterations to your face, when you're living in this fucking society in this reality, which is like, you know everything's about beauty and if this makes you feel more beautiful I I don't know I just been thinking about this conflict a lot because you know I remember we had a guest on who said she felt like it was a betrayal when women got work done and I'm like what why why yeah 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 I even felt that way I was on Ozempic for a while Mm -hmm. I gained a lot of weight and I went on Ozempic for a while I didn't stay on it it made me really nauseous Mm -hmm. but the hostility I mean, I did feel like I really had to keep that quiet yeah, because right. the hostility people have about this drug yeah. being used to help people lose weight is, is something, it's like the hostility women have, and I'm sorry, I know I'm going on a tangent, about women they think have eating disorders, how mean women can be about actresses and people they think have eating disorders, when in fact, if that's true, we should be displaying empathy. Yes. yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And the Ozempic thing too. I know a few people who went on it because they'd gained a lot of weight because of some sort of a health challenge or whatever, or they're diabetic or what have you. And they felt like they can't disclose it. They can't talk about it. I think, Jen, what you were saying with the muscling through thing, it's like, we're supposed to, why are we supposed to muscle through? We're supposed to muscle through to make men comfortable, right? Yes. So Mm -hmm. why can't we be honest about what our shit is to make each other comfortable and to make ourselves comfortable. I think that we are somewhat complicit in, we can be complicit in our own like subjugation to some degree. Like when we're, when we're in fighting, when we're making fun of each other, when we're, you know, she got work. I mean, and we all do it. We're all guilty of it. I'm like not any angel in this department, you know? Um, But 
it's really something to examine. It's just really something more to examine than anything else. Like even, even like people telling you, like, you don't know what you're doing with whatever your face products are fucking whatever. It's just so stupid. It's, it's just, it's really condescending and it's, we have to stop fighting each other. Yeah. It's, it's also like, why is your, why is that where your attention is? Why, why are, is your attention on being like, well, she's doing that and she's doing, and the answer is because yes. you're trying to like figure out when that is a behavior that either one sees in oneself or one sees in somebody else. It's like, that's because you or that person, whoever is trying to triangulate and figure out like, what's okay for me? How do I feel about this? Yeah. Yes. All right. Shifting gears. Joan, what's the best thing about being an artist over 40? Oh, the best thing about being an artist over 40 is that at this point in space time, I'm far enough in life. And I think people, when they reach this chunk of time, are far enough in life to know yourself well enough to know what sort of breadcrumb trails to follow uh, in terms of what kind of work they want to make. And you care so much less about reception. You care so much Hmm. less about um, if, if I do this and my grandmother sees it, will I be, you know, will there be repercussions? You care more about the actual making. You care more about what it is to be an artist, writer, musician, whatever, uh, than you do about trying to be one because you reach a point where you're like, Oh, I, I am that. Um, yes. which I think takes time for some people, not all people. I mean, there are plenty of zillions of capital A artists who know it right out of the gate, but many don't. Right. Yeah. And fuck the ones who know it right out of the gate. They can be so frustrating. <laughs> but, but bless them too. Cause they're, cause they're beacons, you know, where it's yeah. like, what, what am I putting in my way that I don't know it about myself? Well, no, and they burn out young too, though. So, I mean, like, I'm so happy that I'm that I'm doing often, not always, but uh, well, because also the attention when your ego, when you're that young and you get attention, it's we just watched this a million times. I mean, it's just like you flame out because you don't know the attention is just like it's just like a bag of sugar. It's just like way too much, you know. You don't you 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 don't know how to process it yet. Yeah, just fucks you up. What's the p- best piece of work advice you ever received? Oh, um, mm, I think the best piece of work advice I ever received is that it's important to show up no matter what. I, I was I was talking to um, someone I really admire about this last Friday. The the struggle and the challenge too of showing up. Like when you, when you don't have the, the inspiration stick hitting you over the head, when you don't have the muse tapping at your shoulder, when you really don't fucking feel like it, um, and you do everything else that you can do, uh, you clean your house, you scrub your toilet, you call everybody, you know, you do all these things, procrastinate by you. I'm talking about myself, obviously, uh, before sitting down to work. It's the best advice is to sit down to work and then the inspiration will come. And and it's really, really, really true, I think, because in sitting down to work, you're telling your somatic system like, all right, 
party time's over, time to sit and time to do this. And then you can get in the state you need to be in. But sometimes you have to treat yourself. I have to treat myself like a child and go, okay. Yes, same. Well, that's also another thing about giving yourself a permission to be an artist or a writer, whatever kind of artist, is that you're giving yourself permission to have those days when nothing happens that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I kind of had one of those days yesterday where I painted all day and I finished and I was like, well, this is definitely not going in the book. This sucks. And I know <laughs> now I'm like, I got through doing the shitty painting. I got, I was like, I know how this character needs to look now. And it's totally different than what I did. Great. I'm going to start again tomorrow with this new idea. So as long as you show up, like even a little bit, it's a win. But also to your point, it's giving yourself permission to not because you don't, you know, we're all like sponges, right? You have to, you have to soak, you have to fill yourself up before you can squeeze yourself out. And it's this constant like breathing of filling up and squeezing out, filling up and squeezing out. And it's hard to remember that when you're, when you're in like a fill up mode and you feel like you're, uh, I often, when I'm in that mode, it's easy to forget that it's part of the process and it's easy to be, it's easy for me to be hard on myself and feel like I'm not doing anything. It's easy to forget everything you've ever done, even though the, an outside perception might be, oh, you're doing all this stuff and da 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 da. It's like, I haven't put on pants in three days. Yes. No, we can both relate to that. But it's also just the the shitty, the, the everything builds on itself. I think what you're saying, what I love what you're saying, because it's like the shitty work leads to the good work often, often, mostly. Yep. The shitty idea, the like, oh, this isn't working. And then it's like, it's like, it's like time plus effort plus accepting the shittiness leads to something uh -huh. good. I feel like that's always the equation. I don't know why this is the analogy I can't wait to make. Oh my God. I can like, see it in your eyes. What is happening? <laughs> it's like when you're doing the spelling bee and you come up with words that don't have the center letter because they're going to yes. help you come up with words that do have the center letter. Uh-huh. I mean, although any, I think any bad effort leads often, often leads to good effort because it's just the effort is, you know, I've actually had two things recently where my first idea was not exactly right. I pitched them and then had like, like weeks to ruminate. And those were both like kernels of a good idea. And I expanded on them. And the second idea, the third idea was the one, it was the right idea. So it's like, it is also, we've talked about this a lot, which is persistence. It's really just that idea of persistence. And I think that you know, treating yourself like your work is serious um, and just keep going. How about, I want to ask about knowing when to quit because I've been right. I've been trying to write something and I'm about ready to quit trying to write it. Mm. And I feel okay about that. Like, how do you feel about that when, when it's just like, you know what, this isn't happening. I think it's a, exactly what you just said. When you get to a place where you feel okay about it, where, where you feel at peace, where you feel like you can release it. it, it applies to everything. If you're having like an interpersonal dispute or you're like, I don't know, eating one of those giant three color tins of popcorn and you're like, I'm fine with popping <laughs> now. I've eaten three quarters of it, whatever it is. Like <laughs> you have to listen to your intuition. 
and also be open to um, to listening to yourself again if if down the line you want to open the popcorn tin again because it'll still be there waiting for you. And some ideas and some projects, you know, I'm sure both of y'all have experienced this a trillion times. They sit there for years or they, or there's like some half finished shit that you were ready to quit and you quit, but it's the seed of something else. And you come across it and you're like, why did I put that down? I know what to do now. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Or it's just like, I used a paragraph from something I abandoned five years ago. I used one paragraph mm -hmm. in my book. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, that's all that was needed from that whole enterprise that I had been like struggling with. And like, be, it was like, there was one good paragraph and I just lifted it out and said goodbye to the rest and moved <laughs> it into the book. That's, that's it. Perfect. It's like, <laughs> it's a gift from your past self to your future self, your present self. I actually recently discovered as I've been running bits of my memoir on my Substack. I've been looking for things and I realized that there was a whole chapter about me and dating mm -hmm. and I just got so fed up one day that I deleted it. <laughs> I love I that. just deleted it. Yeah. I was just like, this is depressing. This is bad. Nothing good is ever going to come from this. I just deleted it. Oh, I'm such a hoarder of everything, including, <laughs> including I'm just a hoarder. I don't delete because I'm just like, then it's gone forever. And and I think the moment I did it, I was ready for it to be gone forever. Now I think it could be kind of interesting to look at, but that can happen. Um, I want to know because I feel very ignorant about modern art. Not you know, not all modern art, but like you know, present day artists. Who are some female artists that people should follow if they don't? So for for female artists who are on the Instagram. Um, my, my top three right now and in general are, uh, my dear friend, Melissa Messer, and she is on Instagram as at Melissa Messer art, uh, M E S S E R. Uh, she's a figurative oil painter and she's about to have this ridiculously ambitious, beautiful, phenomenal, uh, show in Seattle uh, concurrently with another phenomenal painter, um, Ian Curtis Christ. And I just, I wrote a, I just wrote a feature on them for a, um, a magazine called the fold. Um, but they're, they're, she's, mm -hmm. she's, she's a, a colorist. She's, um, she's classically trained, uh, in, in the, in the Florentine method, but her work is, is, uh, kind of combines hard edged, abstraction with re it's really sculptural um and it is it's all about color it's it's like it's like albers and flavin and it's 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 vibrant and she's a massive um inspiration to me and uh, another artist i love is named sarm mishi uh, which is s-a-r-m dot m-i-c-c-i-c-h-e on instagram and she is a French artist working in London. I met her at City and Guilds of London Art School, where I went and she was working there. And we became fast friends also because we were like the same age. And uh, there, there were a lot of um, students, other artists that I studied with who uh, 
absolutely could have been my children. Um, All right. Oh my yeah, God. yeah. And I call I call one of them Baby Louie. <laughs> I have a question, but how did you deal with that? Oh yeah, by it, it's like one of the things I really loved about that school was the first day the the opening kind of talk was that everybody needed to have a beginner's mind. And I'm such a fan of the idea of having a beginner's mind. And it was like, if you think you're hot shit, leave it at the door. If you think you're terrible, leave it at the door. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We're all here. And I and I went, it was a small, it's a small school with a lot of atelier style instruction, 17 people in the whole class from nine different countries. I didn't realize how wow. competitive it was wow. to get in until I got in. So it was it was such a, a mind-blowing experience to work alongside other people because, you know, like, again, like creating anything, a lot of the time it's a lone wolf solo thing where I, I, I previously had always been like, nobody can be around. I don't care who you are. I don't care how close we are. Nobody can be around. And, um, I still, I still have a real hard time being interrupted while I work because again, because of ADHD stuff, but this, but this experience changed it tremendously. And we all, everybody fed off of each other. There were some pain. I mean, everybody was brilliant in their own way, but there were some painters who just, oh my God, just bring me to tears thinking about Hmm. their vision, their talent. Um, and it, and so there was healthy competition too. It wasn't like I was there, there was, there was no universe in which it was like, I was better because I had a career and was published and had shown and all of that stuff. Um, we, we all brought what we brought to the table. One thing that was really cool was I was able to have a a lot of conversations with fellow students about just the experience that I had because I had more years than them. And that was really fulfilling. Um, and there was one day I remember going in and, uh, one <laughs> I was, it was, it was, it was freezing and I had all these coats on and I was taking them off really fast, but it was freezing in the studio. It was this Victorian, this repurposed Victorian building and it, the walls were way more permeable than they were supposed to have been. And so it was, it was like Dickensian in there. Anyway, so I was hot. I was disrobing. And uh, this girl who I think was 18, 19, she was like, why are you hot? Are you all right? And I was like, oh, I'm having a hot flash. And she was like, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's because I'm in perimenopause. And she goes, perimenopause. No. And, and I was like, oh, honey. And we, we sat down and I told her what it was. And she goes, is it going to happen to me? What's that? And I was like, I'm really sorry. She's like, can I stop it? Like no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, that's what that was. And then, um, amazing. The third is uh, she's a visual artist, but she's primarily a musician. My dear, 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 dear friend Jennifer Charles, who is, you know, you talk about somebody who is a capital A artist, writer, poet, actress, visionary, visionary. She has a band called Elysian Fields. Um, that has been in New York, yeah, for for over twenty years. You know, every time they put something new out, I'm always like, oh my god, this is the best thing you've ever done. They best themselves again and again and again and again. But this batch of songs is, 
I can't accurately describe how profoundly brilliant this record is. Um, and she's so she's on Instagram at at Elysian Fields NY. But those those would be my top. No, that's really helpful. I feel like that's going to be I think everybody's going to be psyched to know that because I'm always looking for people. Um, Joan, thanks so much for coming on. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both so much. The, again, it's, I listen every I listen every week. I listen religiously. I can't I can't believe it. I, <laughs> I know. I people can't believe listen. anybody listened. Exactly. <laughs> always a surprise. <laughs> I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. I can't believe it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it across the platforms. Also, subscribe to the show. Apple Podcasts made a huge change recently. So if you subscribe to the show and then you didn't listen for a couple of weeks, you are unsubscribed which affects all kinds of things for us. So please subscribe and also recommend the show and ask others to subscribe. If you want to support the production of the show, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash everything is fine. We have special segments there now. I blog there sometimes. We do other things. It's $3 a month. Please join. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at EIF Podcast on Instagram. We have a private and robust Facebook group, which I find very, very useful. Me too. Yeah, I really do. Like I ask questions and I get really thoughtful responses. I think it's, a, it's I'm very excited about our Facebook group. If you want to follow Kim, as you should follow Kim, Kim is on her Substack, kimfrance.substack.com, girls of a certain age. It's weird that it's your name, but it's also the name of the thing. It's weird that Substack does it like that. It is weird. Well, I just wanted to call it, I would have called it something else, but because I already have called it girls of a certain yeah. age for some many years, yeah. I couldn't change it. I don't think you should change it. I think I'm just saying that you're kimfrance.substack.com, but you're all, it's also girls of a certain age. So. Yes, it is yes. true. And it it's, is weird that Substack does it that it's way. It's two things. Um, if you want to pre-order my book, Ambition Monster, the link is in the show notes. Um, I'm not going to push that too hard until I have to, but it's there if you want to find it. If you want to follow me, um, you could follow my beauty Rex on at Jen Romolini's Vanity, I think is the name of it. And I'm in other places. And um, this show is mixed and edited by wonderful Natalie Rivera. Thank you so much, Natalie. And we'll be back next week. 